And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law. This is the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast with your hosts, Michael Campbell and Greg Howell. Welcome to another episode of Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Campbell, and I am joined here at the Association of Seventh-day Adventist Historians meeting on the campus of Southern Adventist University in College Dell, Tennessee, here at their triennial conference. That means every three years. Last conference was at Southwestern, so now here it's at Southern, and I'm joined by some uh, dear friends that uh, I want to introduce, that uh, we have the privilege, since we're here gathered together, I thought it'd be great to just ca- have a moment to kind of reflect. Let me introduce you to them first and then tell you a little bit of the context of our conversation. First, we have Philip Warfield, who is a doctoral student at uh, right in the midst, the, the throes of a doctoral program at Howard University. Uh, welcome, Phil. And then we have um, uh, Kevin Burton, who is the director of the Center for Adventist Research at Andrews University, also in the final pangs of, of a dissertation. Uh, Florida State University. I said it right good. <laughs> and then I have Joan Francis, longtime friend, a beloved uh, scholar, historian who uh, has taught at Washington Adventist University, recently retired, but uh, always have special memories because she will be one of the, the persons I can always count on showing up for the American Historical Association. So uh, my wife Heidi and I, as historians, we love to, to spend a little time together when we meet up for, for historians meetings. So, uh, and the reason we're, we're gathered here for this kind of dialogue conversation is the inaugural MacArthur Lecture. Now I had to, due to some meetings, I came a little bit late to the party, and uh, but I, I, I did find out that there was this lecture. Uh, it was in honor of uh, Ben MacArthur, who, again, was a longtime professor at Southern here in the history department, was my advisor. I remember taking classes. I think some of you did as well. Phil's not, nodding his head. And last night, uh, we had Eric Anderson, who I know... Uh, knew uh, Ben MacArthur, and he gave the lecture uh, titled Smashing Icons, Reflections on Thomas Jefferson and Others. So I wasn't there, so you guys have to fill me in a little bit. Uh, What was it about? And uh, let's have a conversation about this. All right, well, I'll start then. Um, So it it was a presentation that was basically arguing in a nutshell uh, that monuments honoring white men um, should not be torn down, and that it's a, a removal and a sacrilege to history to be going around uh, with the idea that we should smash icons, as he would call it. Um, and so he presented uh, his arguments in a very sophisticated scholarly uh, way mm-hmm. uh, to support this idea that um, the monuments should remain and uh, defended and uh, so forth some of the the actors uh, whose monuments have been destroyed. So people like John Muir, who um, has made several racist remarks against Native Americans, and after um, checking the footnotes, as it were, and looking at what John Muir said, uh, Anderson made comments such as, there was no reason to apologize for what he had said, even though Uh, Muir is mentioning things like Native Americans were savages and other things. Um, And so it was a a presentation that was very conflicting for a lot of people on campus. It was highly offensive. 
to many people on campus, um, but of course supported by many people as well. And so it was a situation where um, I think a lot of, uh, it, it was dividing. It mm -hmm. was a dividing kind of lecture. Um, and there was no formal response. Um, and so uh, through the course of, maybe so that people understand the history of the conversation that happened there, I'll mention that. Um, there was one or two people that, that raised a question or something or made a comment. Then Phil Philip here uh, gave a very good set of questions to Eric Anderson, specifically related, related to the history of uh, Southern Adventist University. Um, I spoke up after that point and tried to very politely but firmly uh, explain how his presentation was very problematic. It didn't include any uh, non-white voices uh, in the perspectives shared um, and so forth. And then uh, Xavier, a student, I don't remember his last name, but he also spoke up uh, very passionately uh, after me. And then there was one or two maybe after him. And then we kind of closed off the conversation and that was it in the formal sense. So yeah, so this is the relevance of history, right? I mean, what do we do yes. with that, Joan? Well, I was gonna say that in his presentation alone, I didn't think he gave a balanced view of okay. statues of icons and yes. why we put them up and what is the purpose of this. Okay. So I think in the presentation itself, so that people could have a more um, better sense of how to evaluate why we shouldn't smash these icons. Sure. So I think that was missing from his um, presentation. He just gave, this is why we should keep them, rather than like, as you get more information as a historian, mm -hmm. sometimes you do, I don't wanna say revise it, a revisionist, but you do have to change or adapt Mm -hmm. to what your thoughts were before. And so I think if we have a sense of why do we have these monuments? Why were they put up? Why do we even put up icons? Mm -hmm. That would have been a better um, balanced presentation in my view. Okay, so yeah. it's not just writing history, but what do we do with it? And mm -hmm. that the monuments that we have are, are it's, it, this, it takes on a deeper meaning, if I'm hearing right. Mm -hmm. Philip, you look like you're about to jump in. <laughs> Definitely. I, I asked the question about revisionism. I had okay. a really hard time. Of course, we understand revisionism can take on a whole lot of different meanings. But when I'm talking about revisionism, I'm talking about historians who look at the past historiography, they look at the past scholarship and say, here are some gaps, here are some voices and perspectives that we have not yet considered mm -hmm. and that we need to revise and add in. And so I asked him specifically, what do you think about this idea of revisionism? Because as it relates to the history of Southern Adventist University, there are some issues in which we rename we or we've kept the names of buildings and mm -hmm. we've uh, kept the names of streets for people who have not been so kind policy-wise to African-Americans and other non-white students, faculty, and staff. Mm -hmm. How do we reckon with that legacy? Yeah. And essentially, his argument, his retort, if you will, mm -hmm. was all about how we should just uh, forgive people and understand that they are a part of the bridge, mm. part of the bridge to new people. But my argument has been, well, you can't build the bridge without looking at, well, the people who are on the bottom of that bridge, who are mm -hmm. not on the fringe or the periphery, they are a major central portion of our historiography, mm -hmm. our American experience, and to ignore them and to ignore their experiences yeah. is not okay. I like to say that, that sometimes that the history we choose to tell and the history we choose not to tell says just as much about us. Um, and so it's important that uh, the stories, they, they shape us. 
they shape us. And this is, I, you know, just for context to our listeners, you know, this is a highly contested topic at a lot of universities. And, and so we have a lot of university professors gathered here, historians. I mean, all of us work and have worked in different college kinds of settings and campuses. But um, yeah, it, it, you know, so we have this, this um, lecture almost feels like the gauntlet's thrown down, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, we, we shouldn't uh, to do that, but but are there, you know, re reflect with me for just a minute on what what might be possible, you know, um, and and how should conversations be shaped on campuses? I, one of the things I heard, there was no response. There's no, you know, I mean, there was obviously some responses from the audience. Again, I wasn't there, but but, you know, how can we include more diversity? How can we shape conversations on our campuses? So there is a particular institution that he mentioned uh, mm -hmm. last night, the University of Sewanee, also called, uh, or rather the University of the South, also called Sewanee. Okay. Um, it's an institutional member of this organization called the Council of Independent Colleges and mm -hmm. their project, The Legacies of American Slavery, yeah. which is uh, led by David Blight, the mm -hmm. uh, director for the Gilder Lehrman Center mm -hmm. for the Abolition of Slavery, et cetera, et cetera, at Yale University. Mm -hmm. um, and what that project is doing is helping institutions of higher education reckon with their legacies of slavery. Mm -hmm. And a part of that is understanding when do we rename buildings and when yeah. do we rename streets. But in doing that, you have to create a task force. Mm -hmm. You create a task force of professionals and community members and even students to consider the best ways to move forward with people who have segregationist legacies, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. However, what was presented last night was just this, oh, you're just completely getting rid of everything about them without fully weighing in, in one particular case, the theological legacy of this particular gentleman versus mm -hmm. a segregationist legacy. And it seemed as though, and the way that it was presented, was that the scales were not balanced. Mm. There was also a little bit of a conflation uh, okay. between the person themselves and the statue okay. that is uh, propagandizing their legacy. Sure. And so, which often happens later, right? It's that's not, right. And so, yeah. to take down a statue, for example, is not to erase someone from history. Um, it, it's a very different thing. Taking mm -hmm. down a statue is exactly what, exactly that. It's taking down a statue yeah. or renaming a street. It's exactly that. You're renaming a street. Mm -hmm. it happens all the time. Yeah. But in some cases, it becomes a political. Uh, hot button issue. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so there was that issue as well, as, as what yeah. Philip has rightly pointed and out. I, I think okay. on campuses, it is good to have um, varying op um, opinions and op opinions in opposite directions. But sure. my concern is um, this was an uh, inaugural lecture, it yeah. was for honor students, and I don't think we gave them the example of the pros and the cons, let me put it that way, mm -hmm. of why we would have to smash. Um, and I don't think if we're just smashing the icons, we are saying there's more evidence now, there's more information. This person does not represent what our values are right now, right. how we should include other people. Mm -hmm. Do we really need to take down this particular one or do mm -hmm. we need to add? Those are kind of the balances that I need to see in the discussion on the campus. Yeah. Um, and then what are the criteria we have for erecting this particular mm -hmm. icon in the mm -hmm. first place? And as you said, it doesn't mean that you're getting rid of this person of history. Yeah. It means that we include in more people. Yeah. If we would look at it as, as expanding mm -hmm. rather than conflicting, you know, we, we expanding what we know and we're giving people a bigger picture 
of what has happened. And we do this all the time. Historians get more information and they expand their view of something. It doesn't mean you, you constrict it. And yeah. I think that's how we should do it on a, on a campus. And on a Christian campus, one of the things that maybe in other situations we discuss is our values. Sure. How do we put our Christian values in explaining why we have this, I don't want to use the word icon, or why we have this person or this artifact that we want people to see and remember. Mm. Not for every single thing in their life, if it's a human being, but maybe for their courage in something, maybe for the way they treated people. So we have to go, go and look at it again and, and don't be afraid to deal with the messy and the ugly mm -hmm. once we can use it to show how we can overcome and be much better than we were before. And we need to call the ugly the ugly, right? I mean, there be should honest be honest with what what is what happened, right? That's right. And yes. we can never defend uh, people who are white supremacists, right? Um, that's that's something that is a very big problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whenever someone says something and it's highly offensive, then call it for what it was. It was it was racist or or whatever situation. Maybe it was sexist or whatever it was. So call it what it is. Mm -hmm. But you can honor someone like John Moore as a as a uh, uh, environmentalist. But mm -hmm. you can still recognize he was he was uh, racist. You know when it came to his perspective of Native Americans. Um, you know, and maybe you don't want to honor him as a naturalist. I don't. I don't personally have a stake in that particular question. Yeah. Um, but the point is, is that like to excuse. Or, or to try to justify or defend uh, that that ideology mm -hmm. is threatening, offensive, and I'd say I would say categorically dangerous. Yeah. Um, okay. It leads to further violence and further uh, problems. I would absolutely concur with you that it's dangerous that we don't, especially as you said, even that night, that no non-white perspectives were added to the conversation. For example, in the historiography concerning Thomas Jefferson, uh, the statement was made last night that perhaps Thomas Jefferson had fathered uh, children with his uh, enslaved woman, Sally Hemings. We know now, in the historiography with Annette Gordon-Reed's amazing monograph, mm -hmm. and with DNA evidence, that that is a true claim. There mm -hmm. are black Jeffersonians. To say that the evidence is inconclusive, right. therefore continues to erase the experiences of African Americans and the amount of great scholarship that has come out of the 50s, 60s, and 70s that it appeared as though it was completely ignored last night. I'm talking about the John Blassing games mm -hmm. uh, and all of the amazing African-American women and white women, Deborah Gray, white, et cetera, et cetera, who are doing this work and it felt like they didn't matter at all last night. Right, yeah. it was a David Barton presentation for Adventists. Yeah, and, and who was that, just for someone that might be listening and not familiar with that yeah. name? David Barton was a conservative, uh, untrained, uh, self-proclaimed historian who uh, published a book a number of years ago called The Jefferson Lies, and it was published by... I think The Light and the Glory, there's a couple of them. There, oh, there's there? several, yeah. but the, yeah. the big one that came out was uh, Jefferson Lies, and mm -hmm. it was published by... Zondervan or a big one of those, one yeah. of those, yeah. Maybe, yeah, Thomas Nelson, maybe mm -hmm. it was Thomas Nelson, I don't remember. In any case, um, both conservative and liberal historians have gone through and noted numerous factual errors of the similar kind that, that yeah. uh, we heard, some of which so we heard last night. Serious so. credibility issue, but, but then people are pushing a narrative upon the past that they want to believe rather than actually confronting the, the reality of the past, yeah. if I'm hearing you right. Yeah, the main thing yeah. was to try to exonerate uh, Thomas Certain, Jefferson yeah. and excuse yeah. his, his ills. So it's you know? not yeah. a, yeah, Joan, you were about to say something. Well, I, I was going to say, even um, looking at the Autobahn, remember he mentioned that 
I, you know, but you can look at it again. They said he shouldn't, we shouldn't change the name. Yeah. Even if we don't change the name, what he stood for as, you know, the good deeds he did, but let it be known, look, he was also, he had this feeling, so yeah. don't let us think he was this great, perfect person. Yeah. And maybe they might add something to the name. Um, I do think that some, some of the icons need to come down. Oh, yeah. Some might need to add names to. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the guy in, in Carolina Thurman, Thorn Thurman, where his daughter, mm-hmm. who he had f- long before he became important, yeah. um, when he died, I mean, she waited a minute, and she said, put my name on that mm-hmm. so that people would know. Yeah. yeah, he did all these things, but this, is, this was his failing. So, you know, so that we have a better picture of him as a human being sure. um, rather than that he's somebody we should worship unabashedly. So if I'm hearing you right, part of what uh, I think needs to happen isn't, you know, in smashing idols or whatever it is, icons, icons, yeah. icons sorry. Uh, we shouldn't I, make I, them idols, that's the I, problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to tell a little story. For those that are listening in here, I have a confession. When I was just a little kid, I when our, our family became Christian, I went downstairs in the basement and I found a whole bunch of these little... I don't know, porcelain creatures. They were from a souvenirs from my parents' trip to Mexico. And, uh, and I was so horrified. I, I smashed them and said, <laughs> my parents, I couldn't believe my parents worshiped idols. And then I realized, what if it wasn't actually idols? Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, then I discovered they didn't worship idols. And then I had to repent. And, uh, <laughs> so when I say idols, that's, that's the image that comes to mind. Yeah. But, but smashing icons, you know, and, and this idea, it sounds a little bit extreme, like smashing. I don't, I don't think anyone's calling for smashing. And if I'm hearing you right, that's really right. what is I'm hearing you say is that this is an invitation to have conversations and that rather than just make everything um, polarized, that maybe there's more nuance that could help and with these conversations create constructive spaces that may change the way that we see the past, the way we tell the past, and even the physical portrayals of the past, if I'm hearing you right. You're you're about to say something, Phil. Yes, I mean, his whole thing was about trying to create this nuanced conversation, Mm -hmm. but in his messaging, he even used words, uh, for example, like woke and woke mob and, and things like that, that really painted the other side as clearly just not intelligent. His, yeah. his presentation was not nuanced at all, was it? Right. So not that's part all. of the problem and, is and we I need think, to create those spaces, John. And I think that's that was the, if you, I don't want to use failure, but what's the, the, one of the weaknesses mm-hmm. in, in the presentation in that it didn't create from the presentation itself enough of the nuances that people could start the conversation in a balanced way. We never heard about the banning of anti-racist books, for example, right. in libraries across America. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, we that heard, would be the converse, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we heard about only things that were, that were insulting from his perspective to white men. Yeah. And, and that was the only perspective that was shared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every example he gave was related to that, yeah. um, even to the point of the statue which he defended about uh, Sacagawea. He said, she's there, even though he excused the fact that she's standing behind Lewis and Clark. Sure. And that matters. You know, the, the positioning of, of how things, things are imagined and created. Um, I mean, it is, it's an amazing thing to try to think about Lewis and Clark as the sole leaders of an expedition that are being only assisted and, and helped by Sacagawea. Yeah. I mean, 
those men would have died uh, if, if it was not for her. And so Absolutely. she played just as much of a leadership role, if not more so yeah. than these men. And they would have never completed their expedition without yeah. her assistance. And so to relegate her to a uh, subsidiary, subpar uh, background kind of role is ludicrous. But that's what the statue, which was uh, fought over uh, yeah. recently, was, was depicting. So there are reasons why these things are problematic. I also think that when we think about, for example, he, he mentions even there's a brief moment where he talked about Confederate valor. And yes. I think especially if you're going to talk about the lost cause, we need to understand why those monuments were created, That's who right. they were created by. For example, the United Daughters of the Confederacy. Mm -hmm. She only glossed briefly. Mm -hmm. That's o right. Only very briefly. And it was as if, no, you're just trying to destroy everything. Is talking yeah. about people who are apparently woke, in quotes. But he does not understand the full implications of why these monuments and statues were created in the first place. It didn't seem like he did at yeah. all. Please, if for those who are listening, check no. out Karen Cox's book, Dixie's Daughters. Okay. That was yeah, written great. before this, uh, this whole move to, as he would call, as... Uh, we heard last night smash icons you yeah. know and that was written long before this was going on mm -hmm. in recent years um, since like 2020 ish um, and so but that that book really helps you understand the role of the United Daughters of the Confederacy and mm -hmm. mass producing uh, mm -hmm. the overwhelming number of Confederate monuments we have in the south which are some of the biggest problem that we have with monuments in this country so that's that's the source that you should and start with. All the monuments are not in the south, I must say. They're not. Oh, no, they have moved north right. and so on. Oh yeah, and, Lee Highway. And, and there's the highways, the names, that's and right. there's building names, and there's lots of it. But it would, yeah. And I think it's a good time to have the discussion. And again, to me, from a, a Christian perspective, what are our values? Why are we erecting these things? What is that we value? Mm -hmm. And I think, especially on, on a Christian campus, we mm -hmm. need to have that kind of discussion and not just be in a vacuum. Um, I'm happy that people are beginning to realize why these statues were put up, yep. yeah. who they were put up for, mm -hmm. what were they trying to do at the time? What are we trying to do in 2023? Inclusive. Yeah. We want yeah. people to feel that they're welcome at the table. Yeah. And so we need to re-examine why we do these things and don't just say, well, we're done in the past, let's, no, that's what history do. We dig up, we see what's there, we yep. see how we can give a better future. Yeah. You know, make the present and the future better based on the past, what lessons we've learned from the past. But yeah. the question is, have we learned anything from the past then? And as, as we look at this, you know. As I continue to think, especially about what I said last night mm -hmm. was, we revise so that we can create more inclusive futures. Mm -hmm. And we think about the inclusivity mm -hmm. of the past, the stories that have always been there that we have relegated to the back somewhere. Yeah. They are always there, just as you said. And I wanted to use a particular example, and we're talking about United Daughters of the Confederacy and mm -hmm. these lost cause monuments. Did you all know that there is a particular monument that the United Daughters of the Confederacy tried to erect uh, in the National Mall? Yes. It did not. It was yes. a black yeah. mammy yes. statue. Yeah. That would have been the historical memory of the amazing things that African-American women contributed, not just during antebellum America, but throughout their entire history up into the early 1900s. And that would have been disingenuous to their legacy. This is why this conversation is so important, because it's dangerous for us to sit around and act like statues don't matter. We're putting somebody on a pedestal for a reason. Do they fit our values, just like you said, or do they 
fit the values of an old society that we no longer want to uh, say that it should be ours. And I don't need to tell the three of you that, uh, but just a reminder, listeners, you know, our early Adventist pioneers were abolitionists. Yes. Uh, Kevin, mm-hmm. I think that's the topic of your dissertation you've been that's working right. on. So, that's I mean, right. it, it's well established. And, and they didn't just sit passively. Their beliefs and convictions about Christ's soon return uh, made them also activists. So it shaped yeah. the world in which they lived rather than the world in which they lived shaping them. Of course, there, we all live in a context, a cultural context. I mean, we can't ignore that. But but we should let our, our, our faith and values, what I heard Joan talking about before, that should shape the way um, those things around us. So on our campuses. Um, and so it sounds to me like, you know, this might be an invitation, an invitation for all of our schools, I yeah. would hope, perhaps to have conversations. Who are the people that we honor and why do we honor them? Who do yeah, we right. choose to yeah. remember and and why? So it's not just going haphazardly through, you know, we have to change all the names of buildings. That's that's not, and right. I think that's what people are afraid of, right? Right. But, but could we yeah. actually go in a meaningful and intentional way? And if there are particular, well, monuments, since that's what we're kind of talking about, um, that are specifically hurtful to some people, maybe that should be an invitation rather than to be threatened by it to say, well, help me understand what is problematic about that particular monument. Does that make sense? Yes, that's what needs to be done. Okay. And we discuss in in detail Mm -hmm. why we have these things and and how they fit our values today. Sure. And, And really make it meaningful. And even if they're hurtful things in the past, we don't have it's, it's past, but we can acknowledge it and move on. We can learn from it. And yeah. I think I, I think sometimes because it's a hurtful, or as we said today, messy affair, yeah. we don't want to deal with it, but we can confront it and move on. We can be inspired by it, and we can be changed by it mm-hmm. and, and move on. And I would add, too, you mentioned our Adventist heritage, and mm-hmm. we need to remember that uh, through Ellen White and our pioneers, we have strong guidance that should guide us through these issues now. Um, please take a look at the research of Benjamin Baker. He's doing a lot of amazing cutting-edge stuff on Ellen White and black people. And mm-hmm. He has a website on it, too. He does, blackstdhistory.org. Yep. Yep. And one of the, I mean, some of the key things that people need to know today, mm-hmm. Ellen White talks about the rebellion in the South, the Confederacy and the, the, the cause to support and, and retain slavery, et cetera, that the, the Confederate army and all of its glory, that that all was inspired by Satan himself. Mm. And she talks about that un- unabashedly. Uh, she does not mince her words. Mm-hmm. And people today need to think about that. Do we yeah. want to have monuments honoring the work of Satan? So maybe that you know can resonate with some people. So we have a prophetic legacy too. That's right. Yeah. And Absolutely. then she says a lot beyond that about uh, even making restitution and reparations for, yes, she does. for yes. the injustice of slavery. Right. And we don't have enough people talking about that in the church today. And Ellen White says that that is ordained of God, and that people even in the North who had nothing technically about the they're not actually enslaving people. She says they are not guiltless. Yeah. And so that same principle applies to us. We didn't act, nobody living today was enslaving anyone living today, mm-hmm. and yet we are not off the hook. Yeah. We need to make restitution right. 
and reparation for the injustice of the evil that was done for centuries in this nation. And it just shows that we really need to study our history. Mm. A lot of people think history doesn't matter. Funny hearing that from a historian. (laughs) 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 We really need to go in and dig into our own Adventist history. Some of us don't know about it. We just look at the theological aspects of a history, Mm. but we need to look at, I call it the personal, how do people interact with each other? What were the things that mattered to them? and, And so on. Beautiful. My appeal to, to historians, uh, to Adventist historians mm-hmm. and lay people, is to understand, yes, this reparations issue and how it's a, it's an old call from the early 1900s, our duty to the colored people, if yes. you will. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Today, I'm going to make a personal appeal in that Southern Adventist University, the very first, the very first black student was in 1893. Mm. And it's Anna Knight. Anna Knight. She, she was, was very important. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but even if she wasn't so important and ended sure. up having a great legacy on her yeah. own, this year marks 130 years. Mm. You don't have to do that much to ensure that African-American students and women and others who are allies mm-hmm. can see themselves in Anna Knight's legacy. Sure. And so a palpable example, maybe something that's tangible, is honoring Anna Knight at the commencement service of this graduation, marking that anniversary mm-hmm. for the degree that she was never able to get. These are the little things that mean so much, the symbols that mean so much to us. And I want to see us all, as we go back to our institutions, look at the things that we can do that, I mean, I feel like the university marketing team would love to see these sorts of things to, <laughs> to say, look at what we're doing now. But also as historians who are working every day in the field to say the people, our research matters now. Well, I think that's a great way to kind of wrap up this this episode because I know we could go on, but we actually have yes. the rest of the conference that <laughs> we need to show up for, right? So, uh, but right. for our listeners, I want to thank you for joining us for this another uh, episode of, of Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. Thanking uh, Philip and Kevin and Joan, good friends as well as historians, as we're trying to reflect and and I think you know um, all of uh, together, you know, this is a, consider this an invitation. How we do history matters. The stories we tell matter the stories we choose that even inadvertently we don't think about that we choose not to tell um, those matter too and so how can we create those spaces and conversations and and that uh, that all voices can be heard because that's a a big part of 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 our Adventist heritage is uh, being uh, as as thoughtful about the past and uh, for people waiting for Jesus to come that, that we can be uh, intentional to take that history and make it relevant for our lives as we wait for Jesus to come. Well, uh, again, thanks for listening to this episode of Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. Join us again next month as we dive deep into Adventist history. And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law. out of this world if he does not want us to be contaminated by it.